our passage this morning is Deuteronomy 11, 18-22. And we're going to actually kind of hit verse 22 twice this week and next week both as it kind of it, it's the, the, the culmination of, of this passage. And it's also the, uh, uh, the, the, the beginning of the next passage. It kind of falls in both of those. But I want to ask you something as you're turning that. Think about this for a second. If I ask you, what does it look like to be a, a, a good man? How do you describe that? Or what does it look like to be a good woman? Or what does it look like to be a good church? Or what does it look like to be a good anything? You know, how do, how do, we, how do we define these words? How do we describe them? How do we, how do we live? The, what does that mean to us? What does it look like to be a good family? What does it look like to be a good a good worker, a good any of those things? You know, isn't it, isn't it amazing how how quick we we we're so often when we hear these terms, we talk about them, we take them and, and we we look around and we see how other people are doing and say, well, I must be doing do it pretty good because I'm better than that person, or oh, I'm struggling because I'm not doing the same thing that person is, or or, or we're not in good shape because our, my, our, we, we, our family's not good because I look at that family and they're doing better. And, and, and we're so quick to look around us and we, we compare ourselves to this. And, and when we do that, we end up kind of feeling good about ourselves or not so good. You know, I, as you know, I teach in a high school and that's one of the big things in, 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 in high school is, is, you know, kids look around and they look at home and they always see someone else doing better. And, and it's, and uh, it's it's and we say it's damaging their self-esteem. We're so worried about their self-esteem. Reality, God's not worried about your self-esteem. He really isn't. Uh, he's more worried about your esteeming Him. Uh, and they're not the same. Your self-esteem and, and 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 the esteem of God is not the same. So as we look at this words this morning. I want you. I want to to be transparent before you and let you know. You know, I I I don't remember a time in 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 years that I have struggled as much to pull a, a, a to pull my to pull my ideas and thoughts into a sermon as I have this morning. And and uh, uh, so I ask for your prayers as always. Um, it is it is such a, a rich, deep passage. And and it just uh, this morning and last night and and yesterday, I just it was just so still running around. So I ask your prayers for this. Uh, but I pray that that at the end we see Christ. That's my desire, heart. We, I want you to see Christ in this passage. Because if you don't see Christ, then then I failed and you will not be changed. Um, but. My failings not new because I fail all the time, but you're not seeing Christ. That's a big deal. So uh, uh, not being changed. Deuteronomy 11, 18-22. Moses, as he continues to write in this book, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, Talking, talking of them 
when you're sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above, as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all these commandments that I command you today to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, holding fast to him, and he goes on with the rest of the promise. So as we uh, we'll pick that up next week and deal more with this. You know, as we continued through this section of Deuteronomy and discuss what it means to live out that that first word or, or that first commandment that we saw in Deuteronomy 5, 6 through 10. As we, as we Corey's continue to remind us that, that, you know, we had that kind of summation through Deuteronomy, brought us up to Deuteronomy 5, and then, then in Deuteronomy 5, we saw that reiteration of those five words or those five commandments. And it's literally the same word that's used here in this passage in verse 18 for words, these 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 commandments, these, this word, and, and, and we said that the rest of Deuteronomy is broken up by that, that outline of what does these ten words, these ten commandments look like. And, and just this kind of quick reverse, this is, this is that first word, that first commandment section. And we saw in Deuteronomy 5, 6 through 10, that, what, that commandment, that word that God gave us, was, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other God before me. And, and we said, that, that, that's kind of the commandment. And what does that look like? What does it look like to me that you have no other God before me is you shall not make for yourself a graved image or a likeness or anything that's in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water underneath. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I am the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the children of the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And we said, this is that first word. And this this section up through Deuteronomy 13, it's what does that mean? What does it look like to live this out, to to have no other graven image? And, and, and you know, the image before you, it's what you worship. You worship the, that image. And it could be any image. It could be an image of another god. It could be the image of what you think a man looks like. You know, you can worship the image of what you think manhood or womanhood or families or whatever. You can worship that image. And, and, and that could be what you have in front of you. And God said, you'll make no graven image. And the reason why is, God said, I'm going to make my own image. I am going to make an image for you to worship. And it's going to be perfect. Because if you make it, it'll be less than perfect. It'll be idolatry. You should have no graven image because he would be our image. So what does this image of God look like that we're to worship? You know, as Corey reminded us so often, as he quoted Greg Beale, you become like what you worship. Whatever you worship, that's what you're going to look like. That's what you're going to be. And I think even when the church, as we've thought about this, as we've, as we've held up these images before us, uh, uh, of what does it look like to be a man? 
We've looked around the world and we said, oh, that's what a man looks like. And we've started to emulate that. Or what does it look like to be a, a woman? That's what it looks like. Or family. Or any of those issues. And God has a better image for us. And do we believe him that he has a better image? So let's look at this passage and discuss what it means to be an image of error. Deuteronomy 11.18 You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You know, we all have this very same habit when it comes to reading God's word. We really do. You know, what do we do when we get to a passage or a part that really doesn't make sense to us? We skip it, right? We do it all the time. When we get to a part that ah, we're really not sure what this means, we just go right on and read the next part. We'll figure that out, and we skip it. Instead of instead of taking the taking the the, the, the time to sit and, and dwell on this and and consider this and just stopping, well, we'll go on. We'll catch up later. That, that that's our habit. We all do it. And really, it, it it's it's the Jews did the same thing. The early Jews, you know, they got to that part about you shall have the, the word of God on your heart and on your soul. And they thought, well, what does that mean? How, how, do, how do you take God's word and write it on your heart and on your soul? Got any ideals? Well, not really sure. So let's just skip it and do the next part. Let's just do that even better. So they got to that part about what it meant, and, and, and they didn't know, but they knew what it meant to wear it on their hands as, and wear it on their heads as frontlets. You take those little prayer boxes or those, I can't ever, phylacteries? Phylacteries? I always mispronounce it, but phylacteries, and we'll wear them on our forehead, and we'll, wear, write them, we'll have it on our hands, and we'll have all this stuff, and we're going to do this second part really, really, really well. Now we're not going to worry about the first part. As long as we get the second half, we're good, right? The problem is, if you miss the first part, you kind of miss the meaning of this. You know? You know, they would wear those and they would show they were following God. And, and really, we do the same thing, don't we? We really don't know what it means to wear God's word on our heart and on our soul. And we're really not sure what it means to wear them on our hands and forehead, but we know what it means to teach our children. Man, we're going to do that really well. We're going to teach them these commandments. We're going to teach them to obey these commandments. We're going to make sure they obey these commandments. We're going to teach them that. And, and we even know, you know, we can we think about what does it mean to have it, uh, you know, on our on our doorpost. We don't put it on our doorpost. We put it a signs on our house. You know, you've seen those houses with little verses written all over our house. And we'll put it all over our house. And that'll just show what it means that we're following God. We're living out these commandments. We're doing it. Right? Well, not if you miss the first part. You know, it's so easy. It's so easy to do the form and not know what you're doing, and it just becomes an empty act. And it can even be 
a dangerous act. You know, have you ever seen, I'm sure you all have, the, the, the Catholicism, the, the cross in yourself? I remember reading about that years ago when I was in college. When Thomas Aquinas wrote about that sacrament, you know, they've done it, the Catholic Church has done it for thousands of years. But it really didn't become a part of their worship until the Middle Ages. Thomas Aquinas wrote and, and wrote it, it was a sacrament and it was a means of grace. And by this, you are saying, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And, and, it would, and I thought, man, what a great meaning of that. But what happened? They just did it and did it, and it just became empty. It was just a form. You know, and I mean, Pope Pius wrote about it, and he said, you're supposed to do it with three fingers. You know why you do it with three fingers? It's the Trinity. You know, it was, I mean, it, it was, it was all, we had, and there was a lot of debate whether you went from left to right or right to the left. I mean, it was just all this is a part of this. And it just became an empty form. If you don't know what it means, you can go through the actions and it becomes empty and even becomes dangerous. The problem is we can, we can teach our children. We can, we can wear the placards. We can, the prayer boxes, sorry, I'll stick with that. We, we, can, we can write it on our hands. We can put it on our door. We can do all those things. But if we miss what it means to write this on our hearts and our souls, it just becomes empty actions. So what does it mean? So how are you going to write these words on your heart and on your soul? I heard people say, well, you memorize it. That's what you do. You memorize it. That's how you write on your heart and on your soul. Is that all it is? I've, I've memorized Pythagorean's theorem. Does that mean it's on my heart and on my soul? I hope not. I mean, I like math, but I hope it's not on my heart and soul. So what does that mean? First of all, we need to know what it means. What The heart is not, as we've said before, it's not the seat of our emotions. That's what it means to us. We hear the word heart. It means the seat of where our emotions flow from. As we said earlier, when we went through this in, in Deuteronomy 6, the heart means our awareness, our understanding. We are to love the Lord our God with all our whole awareness and understanding. Genesis 31:26, the story of Jacob and Laban, where Jacob saw that Laban was away and he, and he had, had gone off to, to take care of the sheep. And Jacob saw this was his opportunity to get out of there because he knew if he stayed around there, Laban was going to take more from him. So he went in and he, he loaded up Rachel and Leah and all his family and he took off in the middle of the night and they, they went running. When Laban ran, he, he came back and he called him. And, and this is what Laban said when he called up with him. Deuteronomy 18.21. I'm sorry, Genesis 31.26. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have, our word translate, tricked me, but, but literally means without heart, you deceived me. You, you, you took away my heart. You took them away without my awareness and driven my daughters away like captives of the sword. You, 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 you deceived me. You didn't, you didn't let me know that you were going to leave. So this, this understanding, there was no understanding. Deuteronomy 18.21. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word of God has not spoken? So how do you, how do you have an understanding? So, 
So this writing this word on your heart and on your soul means that you're to live with an awareness of who God is every single moment of your life. You are to walk through life every day with an awareness of who God is and what, he, what He's done. That's what, that's what that looks like. So how are you doing at that? How's that working out for you? How, how does that mean that, that, that you live with this awareness of who God is every day? And he said, you're, you're to take that, that, that understanding, that living with this awareness of God, and you're to wear this always before you. And here's the, the reality. The question is, does that drive you to try harder and harder and harder? Or does it get you to the point where you recognize, I can't. I can't. You see, there's something really important in this passage that we need to understand. The important part is, we can't. We fail. We are failures at this. None of us can live with this awareness of God all the time. You see, there's something really important for Mark to come up and recognize if he practiced every moment for the rest of his life, he still would not be perfect. But guess what? That's okay. Because it's not about him being perfect, is it? If he's up here playing for his glory, and so you look at him and say, he's doing a great job, he's sinning. If that's the only reason you're playing, so people look at him and say, man, Wow, what a great job you're doing. Then my advice, I would ask him to never play again. Because we don't want you up here doing that. If he's not up here trying to stand in, in the forgiveness and the grace that God gives, what are you doing up here? You see, because here's the thing with this. Those, placa, those prayer boxes and the writings and having on the door and all those things, they are not enough to keep us focused on God. I have a friend who lives in Victoria Gardens. Now, some of you guys are, are not from around here. At least already. You may not know where Victoria Gardens is, but, but Victoria Gardens is on uh, out at the end of Hunt Road on... on uh, you're going down to Louisville, you're the end of the road. But anyway, it, Victoria Gardens is a very unique little community in that you live right at the end of the, of the uh, uh, airport, the airstrip, literally right at the end of it. And then right behind it, you have railroad tracks of the busiest railroad in Blount County. I remember when he moved there, I thought, how in the world are you ever going to live here? You have planes taking off and landing constantly there. And then when you don't have that, you have railroads. You have trains going up and down, and they blow their whistles. And I'm thinking, how in the world can you live there until I moved in with him years and years ago, and I lived in with him for several months. And you know what the most amazing thing? I got used to it. I just started ignoring it. 
I never would even hear it. And I thought, man, if you told me that before, that you can live below below an airport and behind a beside of a railroad track and get used to it and never hear it, I thought, man, that's crazy. But we can, we can use anything. Those prayer boxes, those writings on their hands, those things on their doorposts, those all those things that we do, we get used to it. And we just ignore it. Wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. That's why we needed Christ. That's why we needed Christ. That's why he is the only one who has fulfilled all of this. He is the only one who ever wrote these words on his heart and soul. He is the only one who lived with a full awareness of God in everything he did. He is the only one who has fulfilled this passage before us. You know, he said, I and the Father are one. John 10.30. You see, I fail in every one of these, and there's nothing I can do to keep my focus on God because I'm too busy focusing on my own kingdom and what I look like and what, I, what I'm doing. I'm too busy looking at myself. Christ is also the only one who ever teaches his children perfectly. See, all these commands are in the masculine singular. You shall, you, the, 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 your man, you shall teach your children. Talk of them when you're sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall do this, fathers. This is what you're to do. This is how this is what it looks like to be to be a man, to be a father. You're going, you're going to teach your children how to do this when you can't. Praise God, He is the fulfillment. He has done this perfectly, and only He can. So what does that mean for us? Does that mean, well, Christ did it, so whew, glad we got that out of the way. We're done. Or does it mean we're to walk after him? Remember, what we worship is what we become. And, and, and I want you to really think about that a second before we go into this next part of this. What you worship is what you become. What image of a father have you set in front of you? That this is what I'm trying, this, 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 this is the idea of a, a father. What image of a man have I set in front of me? That this is the image of what a man is, what a man looks like. You know, when, when we look at the, the, the issues in our world, and there's so many, probably the one that just baffles most believers the most is the whole idea of this gender issue. You know, you, you know what is a woman and all this and that 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 video that that or the kind of swept the country by Matt Walsh and what is a woman. But see, this is as we've said often. You know, people look at this and say, well, God's gonna God's wrath is gonna come on us because of that. No, man, this is God's wrath. This is already God's wrath. So where did the failure come? 
So where, where was the sin that, that brought all this? I think it happened about 70 years ago when we forgot what it meant to be a man. The issue wasn't in, 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 in with women. The issue really began with what is a man? What does it look like to be a, a man? What does it look like to live these out? Christ is that perfect image bearer. He did it perfectly. So what does this mean for us? What? So we, we, we desire that God's word written on our heart. We desire to, to deliver this awareness, understanding who God is. So how do we get this? By abiding in Christ. You see, the front lens on my forehand, on my forehead, the right on my hand, wasn't enough. Put Christ in dwelling presence. That is enough. That's the working of the Holy Spirit that keeps me focused on Him. So when it comes to, to this, this living this out and walking this, what, what am I teaching my children? Do I teach them to try harder, to do better than me? You, need, you just need to, 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 to try harder. Especially my sons. I teach them, you just got to man up and try more. Or do you sit, do you teach them that Christ is their only hope? You know, when when I, I, I was so moved by, by Mark as he came up and he admitted this, that, that you know, Mark, in and your, and, and your, your weakness in this, I thought, man, what a God thing. What, what, what a God thing to come out and start out with saying, let me tell you, I'm going to do the best I can, but I, I, I'm a failure. We're so bad when, when everybody thinks good of us, don't we? As husbands and fathers and men, we want God, we want people to think good of us because we're strong and, and, and we're right and we're, we're good. When, what should we want? We want to think good of Christ. We want him to think good of who he is. Do I teach them that Christ is their only hope? All the frontlets, all the writing on the hands, all the signs in the house, all the efforts that I can exert will never Keep God's word in my heart. All the all the memorization, all the Bible reading, all the church attendance, all the all these efforts I do will never, ever keep God's word on my heart. Because only in Christ is the fullness of God pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things on heaven and on earth. Making peace with the blood of his cross. Christ is the only one who reconciles everything to himself. All I, I can't, we can't fulfill this, guys. We're, we're, we cannot. We can we can we read those commandments, and this was so crazy. We read those commandments and we say, I'm gonna do it. I'm I, I'm gonna do it this time. And we won't. 
We fail again and again and again. None of it is enough. None of it will bring us to that point. We read in verse 22 and says, if you will, if you will be careful to do all the commandments I command you today, loving the Lord your God, walking all His ways, holding fast to Him. Okay, okay. Yes, I, I failed today, but I'm going to do it tomorrow. And then the opposite is we get there and say, well, I don't have to bother to try. Christ done it. I don't even have to try to do any of it. But see, there is a commandment in here. If you were careful to do all that I commandment, all this commandment, notice singular, all this commandment that I command you to do. And it's, what is the commandment? It is to love the Lord your God, walking all of his ways, holding fast to him. It goes back to that marriage language that we had the other day that, that, that Corey, this comes next week. It is it is walking after him, holding fast to him, being in that marriage relationship to him. This word holding fast is the same word clean that, that we use in Deuteronomy that, that, that Corey did such a great job talking about this. That this is what this looks like. Walking as this bride to the with the bridegroom. Not in perfection, not in strength. But understanding that he is our only hope. And he goes on in this, and this is this is where we're going in this passage. In verse 26, Deuteronomy 11, 26. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commend you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. I want you to notice something about that. Look very carefully about that at this passage in just a second. What's the difference? Now think about this. If I said, I'm setting before you a choice, chocolate or vanilla. And I said, I'm setting before you a choice, chocolate and vanilla. What's the difference between those two? If I said chocolate or vanilla, that would mean one or the other, wouldn't it? If I said chocolate and vanilla, both. What do you say here? Is he setting either a blessing or a curse or a blessing and a curse? It's and, isn't it? <coughs> what he's setting before us in this, it's not like I try really, really hard, and I'm going to avoid the curse, and I'm going to get the blessing. That's not it at all. It's both. It's Christ. He is the one that took the curse. He is the one who perfectly obeyed. He is the only one who fulfilled the commandments that deserves the blessing. And he is the one who took the curse. 
do we see Christ as this fulfillment? Are you holding fast to Him? Are you walking after Him? Are you? Are, is this is this your hope? You know, as as we teach and as we walk and as we live this out, are you teaching? that all of your efforts and all that you do, as, as Dan reminds us a little bit ago, they're just filthy rags, aren't they, Dan? Best efforts, our best trials, everything we've ever done or ever tried to do ourselves are filthy rags. But in Christ, who is the fullness of all, who has reconciled all things to himself, he is our only hope. Uh, Corey summed this up yesterday. He sent this to me, and I appreciate that. He said, "We display true masculinity. Masculinity, sorry. We display true masculinity, or what it means to be a man, by proclaiming Christ in repentance and faith, and not by asserting self righteousness and refusing to ever apologize." We're so we want to be so strong. We want to be so uh, 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 self-proclaiming, self-righteous. But but do, do we see that as the very antithesis of who Christ is and what he's done? He's reconciled us. He is the one who transfers from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so when we teach and we, we walk and we stand, do we try to do it in our own strength, in our own ways, or we do it proclaiming the grace and forgiveness that comes from Christ, which is our, our effort and our call. We have, in just a few minutes, we have a baptism to perform. And here's, here's the reality of, of this baptism. As they, as they will go in the water, and as they will, uh, if the, and and if they don't if, if they don't see this, they don't understand this. If this is this is that proclamation that all of their efforts and all they are are useless, that they are dead, but they are raised to walk in that newness of life. They're raised to walk after Christ. They're raised not because of what they've done, because of all that they've done. It's failure. It's not, not good enough. But what Christ has done, he is the only one who's done it that's good enough. And then, because of what he's done, and because of what they're proclaiming, they're invited to participate at the table. They're invited to the table that all of us, that's open to all of us who recognize that all of our efforts, and all of our, our self-righteousness, and all of our strength, and all of our Efforts will never get us to, but Christ made the way.